healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Justin Leader from Highlight Health. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mike. You bet. You bet. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do on this show is challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to either lower healthcare costs or improve value for employees. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Gets me excited every day. I knew that's what I liked about you when I first met you. All right. So (laughs) to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you and Highlight Health so the audience has a little bit of context about uh, who they're listening to, and uh, then we'll jump into it. So Justin Leader is a self-funded benefits and risk advisor, as well as the current chief marketing officer for Highlight Health. Joining the team in July of 2020, Highlight Health's mission is to deliver affordable and accessible health care to the nation's growing underinsured populations. Graduating with a master's in science in 2007, Justin started his career in insurance in 2011 in a business development role for special risk insurance services, which specialized in the placement and management of Fortune 500 corporate-sponsored employee benefits. In 2016, Justin transitioned over to benefit design specialist, where he became a nationally recognized thought leader in the healthcare space, assisting multiple stakeholders in navigating the evolving benefits landscape. His approach to relationship-based consulting led him to develop a strategic ecosystem of employers, consultants, traditional brokers, health insurers, pharmacy benefit managers, third-party administrators, and healthcare technology companies, which led him to become president and founding partner of Benefits DNA, a high-end consulting agency focused on delivering superior customer service and unique solutions surrounding health and welfare benefits. All right, Justin, anything else uh, to add there? Not at all outside of being a husband and a, and a father, which is job numero uno every day, day in and day out. That's right. And, and probably the most important one that we Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So you, like me, you're a benefits consultant. I don't really think anyone intentionally gets into this industry. I know it was completely accidental for myself. So tell us a little bit about your, your background getting into benefits consulting, and then what prompted you to get involved with Highlight Health? So I'm a, I'm a recovering science nerd. I studied biology, thought at one point that I wanted to be a doctor, and then just got really interested in exercise science and, and the whole wellness shtick and all that, mm-hmm. and got my master's degree. So outside of that, I, I kept seeing these really, uh, these really professional looking guys and gals at this local doctor office, pulling drugs out of their trunks and pens and all that stuff. And I got into the pharmaceutical biz, you know, I was uh, very green and I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And then I realized relatively quickly what we know now, it's an interesting industry, right? Extremely profitable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, of what we help to try to mitigate from a risk perspective on the RX side is propagated, right? By yep that industry. So, you know, I didn't feel great about it. So I ended up uh, going to work with, I'd say an equally uh, interesting, we use that term industry, Morgan Stanley and, uh, and became a, a financial guy. But throughout my journey, I met a gentleman who had built a fantastic career in insurance. He looked at me the one day and he goes, Hey kid, I'm not going to give you my money, but uh, you want to learn more about our business. And I go, 
not really. <laughs> we ended up talking and you know what? We developed a great, like almost like mentor mentee relationship. And, and I got thrown to the wolves in the large group space and kind of backed into the smaller group uh, space and self-funding and healthcare and, and all that stuff, which was you know really my, my passion to begin with. It's been a great evolution, a ton of aha moments almost every day. Here's the best explanation I, I, I can give as to the shock and awe of our industry. Working with a, a guy on our team right now who has no healthcare or employee benefits or insurance experience, and, and he's, he's so immersed, but every day he goes, how is this legal? Like, how are, how, are, how are people able to do what they're doing in this industry, like, without any, any uh, speed lanes or swim channels? You know, it keeps us gainfully employed, Mike. It yes. keeps us trying to, you know, fix these issues that come up against a system that's that's uh, extremely incestuous and built in such a matter for profitability without a whole lot of value. So that's a long-winded way of saying I only know one guy in the industry who went to school to become an insurance broker, and I'm not that guy. <laughs> that's probably about right. There's probably one person in the country. So, so how did you get involved with Highlight Health? What's the story there? Yeah. So when I, when I started in the benefits space, I was doing a lot of large group uh, business, as I say, with like companies that uh, are recognizable logos like GlaxoSmithKline and Aramark and Ikea and, and so on and so forth. And I, I met a gentleman named Josh Spivak, who is the CEO of Highlight. If you've ever seen the movie A Beautiful Mind, the guy's like a beautiful mind, right? He just sees numbers and figures and, and pulls it all together. So we ended up collaborating and um, talking about just how dysfunct the system is, but where there's opportunities on the fringe that nobody's paying attention to mm. and creating a dialogue regarding accessibility for something that I think is an, an underserved part of healthcare, mental health service, snowballed. So as we're talking over the past few years, he's like, I think we recognize that we have a lot of philosophically like-minded people in our network, like you, Mike, like trying to actually do the right thing for our clients. And we wanted to build a product around it and get this out to the market in an appropriate manner. He asked me to join the team with his partner, Brian Strauss. Man, it's been a journey. Um, it's exciting. You know, obviously we've had some good conversations, but we're really curious to see where the future takes us. All right. Well, we'll, we'll dive into the Highlight Health product in a second. But before we, before we go there, I want to talk a little bit at a high level about what's what's happening in, in the country. I mean, we're a few weeks into 2021. And while the COVID-19 pandemic is still surging in many parts of the country, uh, vaccines are being deployed, which at least for me, is a cause for optimism. That said, healthcare affordability still remains a problem for both insured and uninsured individuals. Statistics tell us that approximately 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, and 60% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. And so there's a good segment of the workforce for which getting health insurance, whether from their employer or even you know, considering buying something on the exchange. It's it's hard to afford and financially out of reach. Before we get into the discussion about Highlight Health, I'd really like to hear your opinion on, you know, what do you think is the biggest issue in our healthcare delivery and payment system that continues to yield high cost and exacerbates this affordability gap? I've had opportunities over the past few years with some projects I worked on primarily in the direct contracting space with an organization called KissCard. And in that, I got to meet folks from uh, the Trump administration and folks from, at the time, the Sanders campaign. 
and we're just coming off an election. So we're talking about the far, far left, the far right. And in each aspect of the way that they're approaching healthcare, I think that most people miss the point, And that comes down to transparency and cost. Yes. So if we're in a socialized system, right, we're going to take the brunt and the form of increased taxes. If we're in the commercial system, we're going to continue to go along kind of with no checks and balances to keep a cap on what is actually reasonable and customary. So there has to be a great awakening regarding this thing called health insurance, healthcare, accessibility, and what is the cost and value that we get from that cost. We're working to address that. And that's what you do every day with your clients and uh, your organization does. And that's what we're trying to, to solve as well. To take it a step further, people are feeling tremendous pain when it comes to navigating the healthcare system. And I talk about why I do what I do. And it comes back to my aunt who worked at a Denny's as a waitress for 20 plus years, raised her kids, taking care of her grandkids, has a $5,000 deductible, right? Not making a lot of money as a waitress, can't afford to access her health plan for basic care, avoid symptoms, which there's personal responsibility there, right? Ends up collapsing. Turns out she has stage four cervical cancer. And her first thought isn't, how can I beat this? It's how can I afford this? Uh, horrible. So we have that discussion, but I wish that was an isolated incident. This is across the country and little does she know that perhaps insurance for her wasn't the best option when there's other programs that are available to her that surround themselves with advocacy and knowledge of certain programs to help her demographic. Now, unfortunately, she passed away in July after a tough fight. We're from rural Pennsylvania. We're all tough as nails, stubborn as can come. But, uh, you know, I think about her every day as we as we champion forward in providing solutions for our clients and the most important part of their business, their employees. That example that you just gave is so powerful. And I I think it speaks to to something that I want to I want to talk about. Many employers have lower wage employees who who work part time or full time. And as a result of, of the ACA, right, they're required to offer minimum essential coverage that's affordable and minimum value to avoid those penalties, right? And so the example that you just gave with your aunt reminds me of a lot of those types of MEC and MVP minimum value plans that get offered to these hor- these employees. They're horrible. I mean, like to your point, many of them have deductibles of 5000 and even 10000 for a family, which may technically meet the requirements to offer something that's a 60% actuarial value. But for all intents and purposes, that doesn't offer access to healthcare. Going back to most of the fact, your aunt probably didn't have, you know, more than a thousand or two thousand dollars in the bank, right? No. So, no, so, 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 how the hell is she going to afford a five thousand dollar deductible? And and even worse than than some of those super high deductible plans, you've got some of these indemnity plans that are even worse to get offered to part-time employees. So what are your thoughts on on these types of approaches and products out in the marketplace for for this segment of the workforce that really is is low wage and doesn't have a lot of savings? Let me qualify my my statements moving forward from the, and, and just clearly state that there's no single person, party, organization that's responsible for the issues that we have in healthcare. I think that it's a collective problem that everybody can hold uh, themselves accountable for, right? In the decision-making process from the individual 
up to the powers that be at the major insurers and hospital systems, so on and so forth. That being said, there's portions of my life, and I'm sure your life and everybody else that listens that works in insurance, where sometimes they don't feel great admitting that they work in the insurance industry. There's peddlers out there. There's people that misrepresent products and services to make them something more than they are. And we have to take a level of responsibility in how we're educating and instructing people on what it is that we're delivering, right? I think a good example is reference-based pricing. To, to say that you're not going to encounter a balance bill in any given year is asinine when we all know that with a traditional PPO, you're probably going to get a balance bill, right? Right, right. There is no perfect administrative system, so on and so forth. So to your point, when you look at the folks that are the working poor, like my aunt, like people in transportation, manufacturing, hospitality, so on and so forth, millions, millions, it's, it's really probably 60% of the United States that falls in that protected ACA subsidy population, 400% of the federal poverty limit and under, you have those options delivered to you. And it's very easy to say, oh, my plan's a hundred bucks a month. This is great insurance till something occurs. You have to go see your doctor. You need a drug fill. You end up in the hospital. And then you're left with probably one of the biggest issues, second to transparency and understanding of costs. Nobody is healthcare literate. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> understands basic <laughs> medical terminology or basic insurance terminology, right? Right. So is the system fixed in such a way to keep us, uh, you know, kind of, you know, uh, what's the old saying, barefoot and pregnant? Like, we need to help ourselves, but that's part of our role in our job. So I think that what we've uncovered and what we're pulling together are more reasonable solutions for the population to help serve them, not only from accessibility, but take away the thought that I need health insurance for absolutely everything. Otherwise, I can't access health care. Right. And they're two different things altogether, as we said. That's such, such a good point. Health, health insurance is completely separate from from healthcare and i think we've we've confused everybody because we've we've bundled them together for so long but i think that's a good transition into talking about highlight health so so tell us you know what is the highlight health product and, and what problems are you attempting to solve with it well for um those members of the audience who were like me um uh, are either a little bit older or for me i grew up with my grandfather and my great grandmother so i watched a lot of old shows like uh, uh, Gilligan's Island and, and Green Acres. And I think of the Golden Girls. And I use this analogy all the time. The, the opening song was, uh, thank you for being a friend. And I think we're all craving that friend in healthcare, that person to be our advocate, to help us understand what the heck am I supposed to do? And in sometimes in some of the, the worst experiences of our life, right? Uh, yep. Medical emergency. Yep. So as we started to think about the conundrum of, of mental health access or mental health care access, we started to pull together a couple pieces of the puzzle regarding what does it mean to be or have accessibility in care? So we pulled together a couple components. One, we, we knew that advocacy was a, a cornerstone for the whole program. We pulled together a virtual primary care offering where you could see a doctor without any copay or fee, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, select a doctor, see that same doctor, or if they're not available, a backup. Mm -hmm. Have the ability to go and get your annual blood work done, have access to mental health services, more so than just an EAP, actually having a therapist that you can talk to. Yeah. Taking a drug program, which 
I think a lot of people understand that really it, the function of a PBM should be to adjudicate claims, right? And that's it and get a fee for doing that. Yep. We, we also know that whole system has been bastardized and corrupted and there's 800 new entrants into the PBM space fighting for that, you know, that, uh, that fact. So we make a, a simple drug program where you can be, you know, have access to 64,000 pharmacies to go get acute medications, have your chronic medications mailed to you for a fee, be able to access uh, pharmacy coaching and uh, insulin and, and specialty drugs for a specific population that we're focusing on and making it almost a membership style program where there's no insurance and we back into it. So the analogy that I would use is if you look at auto insurance, which we're all required to have, mm -hmm. auto insurance doesn't dictate where you go get your oil change, nor does it pay for it. So let's skinny that down and eliminate that quote unquote network drive with really no value and beef up these services at a relatively low cost. And in this whole process and journey, Mike, we uncovered certain ACA regulations and IRS regulations that are really, I, I think, our crowning achievement and what we're utilizing to, I hate to use this term, nothing we're doing is innovative, nothing is disruptive, right? We're not looking to be like this big disruptor, but we're looking to provide education and value that hasn't been addressed previously and allow people to be empowered to make better decisions moving forward. Well, well, hold on. I'll, I'll interrupt you. I'll interrupt you there to, to, to say being focused on delivering value to the end user is quite disruptive because a good portion of the, well, I'll just say all of the bukas, they're not, they're not focused on delivering value to the end user. I mean, their customer is wall street and their, their provider network. So, um, no, I would, I go ahead and you can, you can, you can categorize yourself as being disruptive for trying to deliver value. <laughs> <laughs> I still think of, of myself and, and, and my team where I, I would say we're very humble, right. And we accept the responsibility of what we're trying to deliver. Um, but yeah, if, if Mike Maneri wants to class, classify me as disruptive, it's an honor to be disruptive then if that's what bringing value means. So we take these regulations and these laws and, and, and certain people are, are harnessing that in the prescription space, right? With manufacturer's assistance and certain yep. um, PAP programs, right? But we've, we're leveraging something, I think, a little bit more powerful here regarding places where we access care across the country, where most of us maybe don't understand uh, community-based benefits, as we call them, Yep. that allow me in that demographic to take advantage of parameters that are set and established by the federal government to ensure that care is being delivered to the community from certain people that receive benefits, financial benefits back from the federal government, mainly speaking, not-for-profit hospital systems. Yep. And in leveraging that, we found that we can back into insurance products where necessary, but some people might be better served by just having an advocate to help direct them to the most appropriate resource. Okay. So- you touched on a couple of things there, and I want to ask a couple of questions to clarify some things for the audience here. So for, first of all, this is not health insurance. This is a, a health care product, more like a, a capitated product where it's a monthly fee. And in exchange for that, you get access to actual health care, right? Virtual primary care, behavioral health care. You said basic blood work and then access. Is there, is there access to specialists as well? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a secondary layer uh, from a network perspective that will allow access to specialists. Now, keeping in mind that 
there's certain things where we're going to have to go and, and get in-person care, right? Yeah. I would love for a virtual proctology exam, right? <laughs> Probably not going to happen anytime soon, um, unless this is the matrix. Right. So once again, it's steering people to an appropriate resource or provider yep. and ensuring that they're not paying more than they absolutely have to. So how many times have you gone in to get a procedure or something done and you get a bill for, for two grand or $1,500 and you're like, oh my God, this is what I owe. Right. Have somebody negotiate a little bit for you on your behalf. Let's make sure that you're not paying more than you have to. Perfect. So, so the, the, the basic care is covered. And then when somebody does need to go see a specialist, the advocate is one helping them find somebody, but also, you know, helping determine what the upfront cost is for that person to go see the specialist. Yep. So I, I think it's a, a little bit of a better mousetrap, um, not mousetrap, but I guess a, a little bit more better of a model as opposed to saying, let's just throw a bunch of insurance against the wall. And oh my gosh, let's go sell them some gap insurance, which is insurance trying to fix an insurance problem, <laughs> right? With a deductible. Um, that's that's the biggest, by the way, just as a yeah. sidebar, that's the biggest load of crap that I've seen in our industry in the last couple of years is gap insurance or, or gap funding, as you could say. Um, so It's quite silly when you think about it, right? But it's it's highly profitable for the people that are selling it. And Let's just hope that people don't file claims and the carriers doing backflips. Yeah. I think that advocacy component is, is, is nice to be able to go out and, and one, help them find a provider and, and have a transparent cost. Before we, we get into the community programs, I, I do want to talk about the prescription drug component for a second. So because it's not insurance, is it a, a discount program where people have, you know, really a list of drugs that can be accessed for transparent amounts or can you describe how it works? Yeah. So if you go on to, and, and obviously we have fulfillment documents for the members, both physical and then the highlight hub, which you can access through your smartphone. There's a list of covered acute medications and compliance medications. Acute medications, you have access at 64,000 pharmacies across the United States, mm -hmm. CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, et cetera, to go in. And there's a listed, we call it a formulary, but each drug that's listed there is a $5 fee. We're not saying it's a copay, it's not insurance, mm -hmm. but a $5 fee. In the mail order or compliance mitigation, uh, medication portion, you know, I, I take blood pressure medication I have for a long time, especially working in this business. It's needed, but you can get 90 day supplies for what would be the equivalent of a copay under a traditional, you know, PPIO, uh, PPO uh, slash RX arrangement. But you take it a step further with understanding the population we're looking to serve. Yeah. So if you think about the federal poverty limit table for 2021, for a single, it's uh, roughly $55,000 a year in annual earnings and under. For a family of four, it's $106,000 a year and under. Yep. It's a lot of people that also can apply for manufacturer's assistant or patient assistance yes. in order to cover drugs that don't have a generic alternative. So let's take so Humira. Let's take Humira, right? Humira, uh, you know, on its own, probably around $5,000 a month. So I'm, I'm a a person who's enrolled in the highlight health program and, and, you know, while there's no coverage for that drug, how would your advocates help that person? Yeah. So we, we do a great job on the front end of number one, educating people, like you said, a few minutes ago, which you should be the chief marketing officer for the, for the product. You uh, took the words out of my mouth, what the program is and, 
and what it isn't. It's not major medical insurance. Mm -hmm. So the population that we're looking to serve now either have no benefits, limited med plan, MEC plan, or they can't afford their traditional benefits, so they're waiving coverage with the individual mandate plan. So we would look to identify what their annual household income is, contact manufacturers, and then look for federally funded programs to help them get their drug at often no cost or a reduced cost. So if it is a reduced cost, we're not saying that it's going to be covered in full, but we can help you to establish what your responsibility is, help you set up payment plans, so on and so forth. So our hope is in the future, we can build it into to an all-encompassing health plan um, to yeah. cover the whole population with certain parameters set forth so that the plan itself isn't paying more than it has to, as well as a direct-to-consumer play, which I can think about the millions that are out of work right now with COVID that can't afford COBRA, that have nothing that would be able to benefit from this knowledge. Yeah. Well, I just think, look, having an advocate and you know somebody on your behalf say, I was prescribed this drug. It's too expensive. What do I do? And somebody being able to say, oh, let me help you with that. Let me see if I can, we can get you, get it to you for free, right? Or, 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 or a discounted, you know, price. Or you get like prescribed Duexis, right? And, <laughs> and you realize like, it's not a $2,000 drug. It's like right. literally less than $20 a month. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to accessing the community programs. And I think the, the best way to, to help the audience visualize how this works is to just work with the real example. So I'm a member on Highlight Health. I've been using it to access primary care. And let's say, you know, I'm a female, 29 years old, and, and uh, I get pregnant, right? So, you know, some access to a hospital, we know that those costs aren't necessarily cheap. So how would that member be, be helped in, in, in this example with Highlight Health? And that's a great example and probably one of the most common examples that we use when we're discussing the, the, the service. So if you think about the parameters that we're working in and the people that we're working with, they fall in that demographic. We, we've established that. So they're, they're a good candidate for the program. And we assess that with each population that we work with. For her, what we would encourage is contacting our advocate. And maybe we back in, maybe let's say they're an applicable large employer. So there's still federal mandates that are in place. We have a minimum essential coverage program in there. So mm -hmm. let's take preventative health services off the table. But we have this advocate that then can look at the parameters of each local not-for-profit hospital system, which are required by law to provide community-based care. That's why they don't pay city, state, local, federal property taxes, right? Right, 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 um, right. But I pay my taxes, you pay your taxes, we all pay your taxes. So there's certain IRS regulations that say, hey, you need to take care of the community and that's why you get these benefits. And um, not all hospital systems are nefarious. So let me throw that disclaimer out there. But many not-for-profits are run like a for-profit entity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we, we get in contact with that hospital. We'll take a look at a few hospitals within the area. And we'll understand what benefits are available or community benefits are available to that individual. And then we'll help them in assisting to apply and complete paperwork pertaining to that care received under that hospital system. In many cases, it's 100% discounted or it's deeply discounted on a sliding scale based on the person's income. In, in many cases, what their out-of-pocket expense ends up being, should they be not quite rich enough and quite not quite poor enough, 
uh, is a heck of a lot less than their out-of-pocket expense for a high deductible health plan. So that's great. So the advocacy component when somebody needs inpatient or outpatient care, assuming that we're talking about low wage individuals here, you know, there, there's an opportunity for them to potentially leverage, you know, some of these community-based programs that nonprofit hospitals are required to deliver and access those to essentially get inpatient and outpatient care for free. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so the ACA passed 2010, 2014 IRS comes in to firm up some ruling regarding these, these, uh, uh, deliver this community, uh, based delivery of care. 2016, it starts being enforced. So there's certain parameters that each and every community-based hospital, all 3,000 or two-thirds of all hospitals in the United States are required to provide back. The heads, the executives of each and every hospital sign off on it. And uh, we have helped to aggregate, to our best knowledge, uh, the only existing database of every single policy across the country. And uh, it's our goal to systemically help people, A, access 80 to 90% of their most basic care needs through our platform. And then B, should something catastrophic occur, whether it be emergent or non-emergent, we're going to help to to mitigate the risk and provide a retention tool, attraction tool for these underserved POPs. So that's the access product. You did allude to it earlier. The access product does not qualify as minimum essential coverage, but do you guys have a version of this that is a minimum essential coverage uh, or a minimum value plan? We do. We do. So applicable large employer, mind you, individual mandate went away. Federal mandate still exists. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have the ability to to back in and or build in those components. So let's let's take a a, a thousand members of a union plan. Right. Today, they're the portion of the population that can't afford the major medical insurance. Uh, They're given a mech. This is let's call it a mech on steroids with some additional benefit layers um, when you Mm -hmm. get based benefits. So um, to answer your question, long and short, yeah, we can provide compliance components to ensure that any ALE is on the up and up. Got it. Perfect. You know, you guys also have the ability to offer supplemental products, you know, on top of the the access product or the MAC product. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we, we have some great relationships that uh, go back decades. Josh, uh, our CEO, started in the benefits administration, voluntary benefits and fintech space. Mm-hmm. So growing up, you get to know the heads of you know trans and some of the other great carriers that are out there uh, that offer solid products and pay claims. So we have a couple partners in the, call it worksite space. Mm-hmm. So hospital indemnity, uh, critical illness, personal accident plans that we can offer as additional financial protection. We're not leading with that. We encourage consultants not to lead with that. But if somebody would like to elect that and understands that I might have to get an MRI in any given year, or I might have to get some sort of in-person care, it's pennies on the dollar to have that, that, that coverage. So by all means, we think it makes sense to offer it with this product. Yeah. And I think still pairing you know, one, it may not, may not be right for everybody, may not be affordable for everybody, but at least giving them the option. I, I still think the combination of, you know, an accident or critical illness on top of the access product, you know, is still going to be more affordable than a major medical pro, you know, product, or, you know, it's still a better combination than the crappy $5,000 MVP plan that we talked about earlier. Yes, absolutely. Here's a $5,000 MVP plan. And then you're going to spend $150 a month on top of that on a bunch of insurance 
to help offset that deductible. Like the more I think about that, the more it just boggles my mind. But there are it's, millions- it's asinine. Asinine. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the, the, from the employer perspective, you know, they've listened to the concept, they're interested from an administration standpoint, let's say they want to do the access product and they, they want to do, you know, offer the supplemental products to their employees. Is it a consolidated bill for the employer or is it going to be two separate bills? It is. It's a consolidated, uh, consolidated building, uh, bill. We have a, a great house Ben admin platform that we leverage that has mm-hmm. communication that offers segregation of the population to understand who's a fit, who's not a fit, and then educational tools on how to utilize their benefit and what components may be uh, appropriate for them and their family situation. But we try to make it as simple as possible. I think you and I both agree this, this whole system is so complex and full of administrative BS Let's just keep it simple, stupid, every step of the way. So yeah, it's it's one consolidated bill that comes through each month. Yeah. And so as far as, let's, let's talk about that a little bit, educating employees in the, in the enrollment process. I mean, what is the, the strategy for trying to, you know, get this message out to employees and let them know that it's aware and explain to them how it's, how it's different? Because it is different. I'll go back to... And listen, I'll tell you this much. I'm a a lifelong learner and a thief. If you give me a good idea or a good quote, I'm going to steal it and run with it. So I I had a gentleman way back when say, with the U.S. healthcare system, if you grow up inside a box, you don't know there's a box, right? Mm -hmm. So breaking that misconception of how things could be and just saying I'm okay with how they are is a big lift. So a lot of the conversations that I have, whether it be with Sherm or uh, consultant clients or Highlight Health specifically, as I'm sure you do, is is helping people understand certain aspects of the the, the programs that we're selling and helping to disrupt their uh, their thought that whatever I'm seeing on the billboard or on the commercial on TV is what I have to use and access and utilize. So when we communicate the program, we're very cognizant of the populations we're dealing with. Yeah. And or to position it, not as you're not getting a welfare benefit, right? You're not getting, you know, even charity care, right? It has a negative connotation because we're very proud people, Americans, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the countries we come from are proud people. Yeah. So understanding that it's a community-based benefit that you have access to and have a right to is probably the biggest hurdle to get over. And then also, and I think the pandemic has helped to expedite this, Realizing how much can be done through a virtual platform. Yes. That historically we were like, oh, I gotta go to the doctor for that. Nope. Not necessarily. No. One of my one of my best friends is a uh, primary care physician in North Carolina. You know, he he and his wife, you know, explained during COVID. I mean, their their entire practice went flipped to virtual pretty quickly. They just moved to interacting with their patients via email and phone. It's a it's it, a progression had to happen. It was it wasn't that hard. You know, their biggest challenge was getting reimbursed for it. But, you know, from the actual care delivery standpoint, it was easy. And there's thousands of stories like that across the country. So I think, I mean, uh, what did I see last year? The telehealth participation or utilization increased by 4,400%. Yeah. Nationally, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Nothing but nothing but up. So, so you guys highlight health, fairly new company. When, when was it launched? So it's been in the works for a few years. Officially, uh, officials started onboarding and doing beta testing last July okay. and, and have gained traction. And, uh, you know, we're, we're big on 
steady, sustainable growth. I think, yep. I think if we can talk, let's, let's talk realistically here about vendors and, and healthcare. A lot of them say they can do everything under the sun. And then they get a whole bunch of business or they have some short-term success and then the whole company blows up. I won't name names, but we know, you know, in recent years, a lot of people that we really were excited about and uh, it went, it went nowhere. So for us, it all comes back to setting appropriate expectations and delivering to the customers what we promise them. Yeah. And so, and so to date, I mean, what, what sort of feedback have you gotten either from employers who have offered this to their employees or employees that have used the service? Are you guys tracking any member feedback in a way like with NPS scores or, or in another way? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so we're not doing NPS scores yet. I'd like to get there. Obviously, um, uh, customer uh, relations and having your cheerleaders per se out in the community advocating for you is I mean, that, that'll let it lead the business to continue to grow and grow and grow. For us right now, we're collecting feedback, success stories regarding any number of individuals who have seen success. So here's a good example. A gentleman who oversees a hotel association, he's a hotel owner. He uh, rolled this out to his population. Um, one of our consultants we're working with out of the, the South, uh, Eastern United States, first time offering it. He had six employees come up afterwards and say that they were planning on quitting because the guy down the street offered a mech plan. Okay. As of highlight health, they're going to stay on board, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That to me is a win. Or a patient that historically uses the ER as their primary care office calls in, talks to an advocate and gets prescribed, you know, medication or it gets transferred to a PCP and gets prescribed medication for strep throat. Like, you didn't have to go to the ER. Like this is something that was non-life threatening that is easily uh, diagnosable and we can get you the, you know, the treatment. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're excited to continue to grow and collect those stories and work with partners who get excited about offering more. What a nice light bulb moment for that particular member, but also how nice for the ER to not have to deal with that particular patient. Well, and especially in the time of COVID, right? Like right. Right. myself, my family, the kids, everybody else by going in there, you know, I, my heart goes out and let me give this, this complete disclaimer. My heart goes out to the frontline workers, the doctors, the people that are busting their tail in the hospitals to treat people like my grandmother who passed from COVID on Thanksgiving. Okay. There's also got to be financial accountability for these huge institutions that are gobbling each other up and not providing the care that they're required to give back to the community. Yeah. So the way that we're approaching it is from a revenue cycle perspective. We want to help these folks stay accountable and keep the IRS from well, breathing down their neck. Keeping them accountable to do what they are supposed to be doing. <laughs> I mean, it, it is the law. I mean, that's that's a thing. <laughs> so, so Justin, what are you most excited about right now in the business? Obviously, it's it's young and it's it's growing. Any enhancements that you want to share with the audience, or or in, in general, just what you're excited about? So, so I could go on and on and on about a number of things, Mike, that I'm excited about when you talk about the implications and where we plan on going with this. And as we peel back the layers and really understand the foundation of healthcare law in this country, ERISA law, and what can be done, whether it benefits us financially or not, I'm excited to get people jazzed about something new, something that they can take out and really help people. And that's legacy, man. Like, like that's something I can look at my son who's 18 months old and be proud. Like, 
that's what gets me excited. So there are enhancements coming. We're really looking to collaborate with people that are philosophically aligned, intellectually curious, mm -hmm. and not jerks. That's always a good thing to start with not jerk, not being a jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a jerk, there's enough jerks in the business. Like <laughs> let's work with good people, helping people and come up with creative solutions. And, and to be honest, that's what gets me out of bed every day. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, I think this has been a good conversation. I think insightful for me and, and hopefully for, for our audience. If there, if there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? That's a tough question right there. Does this have implications in a traditional self-funded health plan outside of this demographic and this population? All right. There you go. What's the Ab answer? Absolutely. Stay tuned or call us and we'll talk to you through what that looks like potentially. Okay. Well, that, that can be a future podcast episode too. We, we dive into version 2.0 for, for uh, you know, full-time self-funded employees. I love it, Mike. I mean, it's really an honor to be here and spend some time with you, understanding who you are as a person and what you provide to your clients. So I, I, I thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. So before, before we, we sign off here, how can people interested in, in Highlight Health learn more? Yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, we're easy to find all over LinkedIn. But if you go to highlight.health, you're going to be able to check out our webpage, which is uh, continuously being updated with microsites, and uh, good tidbits about what we're offering to the community. If you go in and want to contact us, you can either find me on LinkedIn uh, or you can go on to highlight.health and hit the contact us. And then we'd love to set up some time and uh, tell you more about our story and what we're trying to do out in the world. All right. Love it. Well, on behalf of our listeners and myself, Justin, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us. Been a great conversation and uh, really enjoyed it. Hey, onward and upward, man. I appreciate the time. All right. And to our listeners, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Highlight Health's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content we're bringing to you on the show. Let us know what you think with a review. It's super easy and takes five seconds. Just open up the podcast app on your phone, go to our show's page, scroll down to the bottom and let us know what you think with a review. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast.